question before we get started here. Um, the youth ministry is, uh, as, has put together uh, a band, and as I was looking through some of the items that they needed, uh, they're sorely lacking in some areas. Uh, a keyboard, uh, definitely maybe some new drums, and some mics and things like that. And I thought, you know, we're in the dog days of summer. Giving is really difficult this, during this time of year. Whatever you build up up to maybe May gets wiped out, usually in June, the beginning of July, and that's exactly where we are right now. But I don't want to stop at all. I don't think we should stop. So I want to really encourage you to remember your tithe, okay? And on top of that, I really would like to encourage this service and even the next service to put up a little bit of extra. We need about $5,000 to cover some of the costs for the sound equipment, the music equipment for the, for the high school and junior high. And I really want to get them these items because they, uh, again, have put together an amazing group of people to do a youth band. Sunday mornings at 945, they'll have a youth service starting in August over here in the, in the youth building. And I want to make sure they have everything that they need to be successful. Okay, so if you think about it and pray about it, even this morning, what you could give uh, this morning or this week or next week, that's uh, above and beyond your normal tithe. Um, I'll, I'll throw in the first 500. I just want to make sure this gets done because uh, these guys really want and need to have that uh, as part of their youth ministry. And as adults, we really want to encourage them when they step out and do something like this to step out in leadership. I want to make sure they're, they're supported by us. And I'll ask them to, to step up as well. You know, they're in high school and junior high. They have, little, they have some jobs. They can step up and help out as well. But I want to do that. So make sure you remember your tie this morning and that little extra for the, uh, or a bit extra for the high school and all the things that they're going to need. All right. Uh, last thing here. As some of you know, um, Deb and I became grandparents once again to twins. Yay, yay. And here are the pictures. Levi, boy and a girl. Okay, perfect. Boy and a girl. And I don't think they look much alike. Uh, and you can tell which one's the boy, which one's the girl, because they have pink and blue on too. But even if you didn't, you can see which ones are which. Um, Kaylee Rose is a little girl. And Levi Aaron is a little boy. He was 6 pounds, 14 ounces, and she was 10 pounds. Oh, 10 pounds. Oh, give me <laughs> 5 pounds, 10 ounces. I think I get that mixed up. Uh, and they're doing really great. And our children's director, Kimmy, is doing fantastic, and Aaron's doing well. So now I'm a grandparent of five, okay? 50 years old, I have five grandkids. All right, yeah, that's good. Good stuff. All right. Now, before we begin, actually, let's continue our worship uh, with this song that Jen's going to sing. You know, I don't think there's anyone in this room who is hit a certain age that has not felt that way before. And I was uh, in Nigeria a few years back, and there was a, uh, a woman who had lost her husband to militant Muslims. They came in, and, and there was some clashes going on. She, he was killed, and within two weeks of the time of her husband's death, she lost both her twins, both her twin boys. Before we started digging holes, boreholes, putting boreholes in in Nigeria and the villages we were a part, we've been a part of, every single village has the story of a little boy or a little girl 
when they're younger, it's like, okay, go out and fetch the water late at night, you know, get the water in and they'll go down, they'll take a bucket and they'll lower the bucket in this big hole. It's a well. We drill boreholes. Boreholes are just those pipes that go way down. You pump the water out. It's really clean and fresh. Uh, but they, they, have these, they have these wells that they dig by hand. They're really deep. And they send a little one out there and the little one will go out and take the bucket. And when they're pulling the bucket up, the bucket will be sometimes too heavy and pull the little one into the, into the hole. And every village that we visited, every single one had a story of a little kid drowning in a, in, a, in, a, in a well. And you start to think to yourself, my goodness, there are millions of children around the world who are suffering and dying each year. So much, so much horror going on. Have you ever, have you ever wondered to yourself, is, is there anyone really in control of this world? And with all the things that we see, is there anyone really in control of what's going on? My friend Anne Marie, and you remember from conversations with a happy heathen, she would say, she would say, does it really make sense to believe in an all-powerful, all-loving God who's in control of our affairs when stories like these come from all over the world? Have you ever, have you ever thought to yourself, where is the justice in all of this? I mean, where, where, where's the justice in the world? Where's the justice in a world that's filled with disease and, and orphans and people sold into trafficking, into slavery? Where, where, where's, the, where's the justice in all of this? How can you have faith? How can you believe in the God of the Bible when faced with such horror and darkness and devastation? I mean, how do, how do we hold on to that? Because it brings up, it seems to bring up a, a lot of difficult questions. How can we believe in justice when we have to live in this reality? Where is God when all this is going on? And does he care? And if God's in control, then why does, it, why does he put up with this? Why does he allow these kinds of things to happen? Today, we're going to continue our series when life doesn't go your way, and we're going to move from the book of Jonah into the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was, was written about 2,600 years ago, but Habakkuk's world was much like our world today. If you look around and you see some things going on, and sometimes you're, you ask those kinds of questions and you, 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 you get overwhelmed, well, Habakkuk lived in a world probably worse but similar to the world that we live in today. He, he was overwhelmed with all the ills and all the evils that were going on in his nation. He was, he was just, he, the, the pain and the anguish were just welling up inside him because he saw so much going on. And like, like us, he faced a world that just seemed to, be, seemed to be out of control and without justice. The violence and, and the challenges that he faced Habakkuk struggled with the, with the seeming inconsistencies of God's revealed nature with what he saw in his everyday life, what he saw going on around him. He, he knew the word and he, he understood God and he knew God and he knew the revealed nature of God. But then he'd look around him and see what was going on and, and it seemed inconsistent. And he, was, he was just struggling so much with it. But unlike our man Jonah... Habakkuk, in the end, rejoices in God, including one of the greatest statements of faith in all of the Bible. Habakkuk doesn't end up, I'll tell you the end of the story, it doesn't end up like the book of Jonah. 
So let's begin, if we will, like we did in the book of Jonah, with a, a little bit of historical background. Habakkuk was a contemporary of Jeremiah. He was a contemporary of Jeremiah. The book was probably written between uh, 609 and 605 B.C., and it was a time of real upheaval, a time of, of really some, some real struggles going on, major upheaval. The Assyrians, who had destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel about 100 years before, were now in decline. They were, they were struggling. They were, they were losing their power. They had really lost their power. And the Babylonians were beginning to gain strength. You also see at this time the Egyptians again becoming a world power because they were out from under the, the domination of the Assyrians. So the Babylonians are rising up and the Egyptians are rising up and the, the southern kingdom, the southern kingdom of Judah had a mixture of, of really good kings and really bad kings over the past century. But even with the good kings, even with the, the good kings coming in, there was that mixture and there was corruption. I mean, there was terrible corruption going on in the nation. And this is the, this is the, the situation that Habakkuk finds himself in. All this corruption. Writing, writing before Habakkuk, Jeremiah assesses his nation. He, is, he basically assesses the state of his country. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 26 through 29, it says this, Among my people are wicked men who lie in wait like men who snare birds and like those who set traps to catch men. Like cages full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. They have become rich and powerful and have grown fat and sleek. Their evil deeds have no limit. They do not plead the case of the fatherless to win it. They do not defend the rights of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? What you see going on here during this time of Habakkuk is you have these rich landowners, and they, are, they basically are bribing the courts. And so those without resources can't defend themselves. So you have the poor being trampled upon. And whenever, you know, we talk about a lot of things, why God's wrath is poured out on people. But I'll tell you, one of the main themes always, the reason that God pours out his wrath, is because the poor and the needy are being taken advantage of. Those in power have trampled them underfoot, stomped them into the ground. They have the money. They pay off the judges. They own the court system. And so when, when something happens, they just come in and they control everything. And this is the state that we find ourselves in here in this part of the, in this time, in Habakkuk's time. And Jeremiah lays it out really clear. He's laying it out here. He declares the guilt of the people and God's promise to bring punishment upon, upon them. God is going to punish. God is going to respond to his people for the kind of, the, kind of uh, the, the evil, the violence that was going on at this time. So Jeremiah lays this whole thing out. Now, shortly after, shortly after Jeremiah writes these words in 622 B.C., the, the, high, the high priest, um, Hilkiah, finds the book of the law in the temple. So you keep that in mind. You got Hilkiah coming. You find that in 2 Kings. But Hilkiah finds the book of the law. Now, King, King Josiah, who's the king of Judah takes the book of the law. When they find the book of the law, he takes the book of the law and he reads the book of the law to all of Jerusalem. 
So they find the book of the law in the temple, which I find pretty amazing. And he begins to read the book of the law to all of Jerusalem. And, the, and, 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 and a, it seems to be a revival, beginning a religious reform and revival. And if you want to read through that, not now, but later on, it's in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, where they find the book of the law and they begin to read it. And the nation begin, it begins to, 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 to have a revival. Well, well, Josiah remains a godly king until his death in 609 BC. So he stayed godly. But the root of idolatry and the root of violence and injustice was so deep within the people that after his death, there is a quick decline. And, they, you know, there was a, there was a kind of a wavering anyway. But there's a there's a very quick decline uh, back into back into the same behavior that they were exhibiting before. And I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a little indication, too, of what kind of behavior that we had going on here, because you need to really kind of understand what Habakkuk is feeling and what he's going through. You need to you need to kind of enter into what's going on here. So you have the temple and during King Josiah before that. The people were bringing in and they were sacrificing to Baal or Baal right inside the temple. They had things erected to different gods in the temple, burning incense, doing all these things to other gods within the house of God. And so you, you see Habakkuk's just like he's overwhelmed. But then all of a sudden they find the book of the law in the temple. Josiah reads it and things. The revival seems to be going on. And, and Habakkuk him, himself, is, he begins to maybe there's a little hope. But this is where our man Habakkuk finds himself in a world in total turbulence, both at home and everywhere else around him. His hope of revival, if you will, and to seeing seeing the people change is being snuffed out. He's hoping that he's hoping that this revival will, will, will take over in the nation, but it fades away as injustice and violence just continue to. To, to, to flourish. So he's, he's still struggling. He's struggling. See, Habakkuk would have understood Jeremiah's prophecy about God turning and punishing his people. He would have, under, he would have known that, that God, was, God had promised that he was going to bring punishment upon the nation for their, their lack of justice, for all the things they were doing against those who couldn't defend themselves. So Habakkuk would have understood that. But here's the thing. The punishment and Habakkuk's desire to see a change in the people's hearts had not yet come. It had, it had not yet come. So Habakkuk cries out. He calls out to God for justice. And it says this in, in chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. How long? Now, understand. Now, as you're, I'm reading this, I want you to put yourself in his position. The, the poor are getting trampled upon. They're bringing false, they're, they're sacrificing the false gods in the temple. I mean, violence and, and all the stuff is going on and he's just broken. And he says this, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Justice is perverted. Now, this cry has different characteristics. First, it's a, it's, a, it's a constant cry. It's continual. It's a continual cry. He doesn't just say, he doesn't just like, uh, you know, God, I pray that you would bless uh, my, my this and that and, you know, amen. 
This is, a, this is a continual cry of the man's heart. He says, how long, O Lord, must I cry out for help? But you do not listen. You're not listening. So he's crying out. How long do I have to keep crying out? Which means it was consistent. There was a consistency in his prayer. He was constantly praying. Of course, it's burdening him all the time. Can you imagine being a prophet? Can you imagine loving God, loving God with all of your heart? And then all of a sudden you walk through the foyer and someone's got a, a, something set up to another God or another thing that you recognize and they're, ba- they're, they're burning incense or whatever. And you're like, what? what the heck is that? What's going on here? And no one's doing anything about it. That's the thing. And so Habakkuk's in this situation. He's crying out to God. You've got to be kidding. You see what's happening to the poor? Are, are you not watching this? Are you, do you see what they're doing in the temple? What, 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 you, you promised through Jeremiah that you're going to bring these people and punish these people. But what are you, I don't understand. I have to look on this all the time. I have to deal with this all the time. God, I want you to do something. So it was a consistent cry. It wasn't just, oh, God, I pray that the people in the temple would be better and uh, not be bad. And it was, what, what, on, what is going on here, God? And it was an unanswered cry. You know, he's crying out, but there's, he's crying out, there's, but there's repeated prayers, but there's no, there's no intervention by God. God does not intervene here. God is, seems not to be involved. He, he doesn't intervene. God doesn't respond. There's nowhere where it shows at this point that God's responding. So he's crying out to God over and over and over again. You know, he, he liked to be, you know, one of those prophets where you say, hey, God, do this, and God does that, and it's, ooh, look at this miracle. That's not happening with Habakkuk. He's like, um, what, what, Lord, are you not seeing what I'm seeing? I know who you are. I, I, I know your, your revealed character. I know that you cannot look upon evil. I know all these things about you, so I can't figure out why, if that says it in the Word, why you're not doing what your Word says you say you want to do or are going to do or should do or whatever. I don't, I don't get it. It's, a, there's unanswered. it's an unanswered cry. There's an unanswered cry here. And it's also an agonizing, painful cry. He, he sees all this violence. He sees all this injustice. He sees all this evil going on around him. And Habakkuk has this incredible sorrow. He has this incredible pain that he's feeling and he's experiencing. Verse 3 lays that out for us. His heart is breaking over all the violence and all the evil and all the injustice that he sees around him. And he can't figure out why God's not responding. He asks, why, why do you make me look upon all this violence and injustice? I don't, want to, I don't want to do it anymore. There's so much destruction going on. Look what these people are doing. I can't, you can't get a break anywhere because they just pay people off. There's, there's no one to protect, no one to defend. And you're silent. I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. And verse 4 explains why he is so overwhelmed because the law is ignored. I want you to, I want you to put that in your minds and your hearts right now. I want you to capture that because we're going to go on and talk about it. The law is ignored. The law is paralyzed. It's ignored. That's why he's so overwhelmed. That's why he's so frustrated. The word law is translated, translated Torah. Torah. And I believe this is in reference, okay, this right here is referring to the book of the law that, that Hilkiah, the high priest Hilkiah, found in the temple. And I think that's what he's referring to in 2 Kings. And it sparked, again, we talked about it earlier, but it sparked this revival. 
Okay, so the, so Josiah reads the, the book of the law in Jerusalem, and it seems to have sparked, if you read Second Kings, it seems to have sparked this, re, this revival going on. And when that happened and that revival begins to take root, you can just imagine Habakkuk and how overjoyed he must have been. I mean, you think about how happy he must have been. He's thinking, he must have thought to himself, this is wonderful. Imagine going through all he's described, and then all of a sudden you see this revival percolating up everywhere, and, and Josiah saying, get that, get that idol out of here, and stop burning this, and go in the field and burn up all these other things, and let's, let's go back to God. And, 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 and uh, Habakkuk's like, yes, finally, thank you, God, for answering my prayers. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But now... About 15 years later, the moral climate is worse, probably worse than when it was before they found the book of the law. It was like a spark and then. And so and I think I think for him, you putting yourself in his place again. Can you imagine you're seeing this? You're like, it's like, it's like, you know, it's way back. It's way back. It's way back. Oh, it's caught at the wall. Bottom of the ninth. You're like, oh. He dies for the end. Oh, he stops short and time runs out. I mean, it's like this and times a hundred times a thousand. He thinks something's going to happen. You can imagine how he's feeling. It doesn't happen. So he cries out. He cries out. The Torah is paralyzed. The law has no influence. God, the law has no influence here. I, I, I don't get I don't understand. The law, that's what he's screaming. The law has no influence. You need to feel what he's feeling, the anguish and the frustration. As I'm reading through this, I would, isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that they, the, the, the law, the book of the law, is, <laughs> is found in the temple? Which means it was lost. Think about that. They're burning incense to this, doing all this kind of stuff. And the book of the law is found in the temple, which means it was lost. How can God's word be lost in his own house? That's bizarre. How, how can the word of God, how can God's own word be lost in his house? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to bring it back into our world. Some of the same things are happening today within the church. Some of, the, some of the same things are happening today within the church. The Bible is not being followed by many Christians. It's just, it's just not being followed. It's become lost within the church. It's right here. But it's becoming, it's becoming lost in the, in, the, in the hearts. I'm going to say the hearts of many people who profess to follow Jesus Christ. The word, the law, is being lost. It is lost. It is not being followed. When I'll give you an example. When I try to point out the truth to many Christians from God's word, I, I get responses like this. Yes, but there, something's going on in their life, and I take out the Bible, and I open it up, and it's, it's not some very difficult passage to interpret or whatever else. It could, I, and they'll say, yes, but, yes, but. Or a better one, my favorite one of all time is, Yes, but doesn't God want us to be, all of us to be happy? God wants everyone, doesn't God want everyone to be happy? Yes, but you're committing adultery. Well, yes, but, um, that, but God, I know God wants me to be happy, and I'm not happy with this person anymore, and I have found my soulmate, which is really starting to get on my nerves, that whole concept, okay? All right? Marriage is, marriage is work, my friends. 
Loving someone for your whole life is worthwhile, but it isn't easy for anyone, okay? Unless two people just don't have any brains at all or something, and we all go through struggles. And so people say, well, yeah, this person, now they bother me, and so this person over here, they're my soulmate. And I'll say, well, let me see, where are we from? Soulmate, 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 soulmate. Let me go in accordance and find soulmate in here. Nope, don't find it. But they say, well, well, that doesn't matter because God wants me to be happy. Or I'll say, well, I understand what you're saying about that, but here's what the word of God says. And they'll say, they'll say something like, so are you sure it says that? It could mean, I love, I love our, our universities now. They'll read, they'll read a famous book by, you name a person. And then they'll ask the class, what do you think so-and-so meant? Well, we know exactly what he meant because we have multiple writings on what he was still. He, he told us what he meant, but they'll ask you, what do you think he meant? Well, it doesn't matter what you think he meant. This is what he meant. We're doing the exact same thing with the Bible. Here's what it says. But what do I think it means? This doesn't go along with, this doesn't make me happy. This makes me uncomfortable. So what do, what do I think it means? Our moral views are all too often developed by cultural influences and not the word of God. The word of God is being lost in the church, right in front of our very eyes. It's being lost because our moral views are being dictated by our culture and they're telling us what our moral views should be. Ask yourself this, okay? Why do I hold the positions I hold on certain issues like adultery, like abortion, like homosexuality, like drunkenness? Why do I, why do I hold those views? Those are not, listen, those are not, those are not questionable positions or questionable views in the word of God. Those are not debatable issues within the word of God. But people will hold to different positions. And so, so Habakkuk would cry out the same thing. The law has no influence. If these are not debatable issues within the word of God, yet in the church we're debating them, the, the, the country is going through a moral decay and we're standing there going, well, you know, I'm not sure that Romans actually says that or the Old Testament actually says this or, you know, this or this back actually said that. You see, my uncle or my cousin, they're happy with the person that they're with and whatever else. And they I know he left my his wife for this and whatever else. But I found that they're very happy. So therefore, um, let's just close our Bibles and throw it off to the side and just go on whatever, whatever the person seems to be happy. Now, I understand the I understand the cultural arguments for all the things that we're into, but there's no biblical argument. And what's happening is that the law has no influence. The word of God has no influence. Back to Habakkuk. The people have the law and the people have the truth. Yet violence and injustice and all these other things are still going on. They have what they, the word of God, but injustice and violence are everywhere. Habakkuk is broken and he's crying out to God. God, where are you? Where are you when all these things are going on? Where are you in this situation? Where are your promises to punish those who are doing evil and ill upon others? Where, where are your promises, Lord? Where, where, where are they, Lord? Now, I know so many of you sitting here this morning can relate on some level to what I'm saying. 
I, I certainly, with what Habakkuk is going through and what he's saying, I know you can relate to this on different levels. God, why? I don't understand. I see all this going on in our country. I see all these things that are happening and I can't understand why you're not intervening. I can't understand why you're not responding. I think all of us at a certain level can, can understand what he's going through. It breaks my heart to see what's happening. All the wars that go on, all the bombings. The, 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 the trafficking of young children and women all over the world, little boys and little girls, that's all going on. And I sit and I lay there in bed sometimes and I cry. And I think, what can we do? Is there more that we can do to, 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 to stem this tide? When young girls, okay, 11, 10, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, I'm going to be a little discreet here, but when they go and they have to walk four or five miles or three or four miles to get water because they don't have a borehole, a clean borehole, and their, and their wells are empty... And, they, and their parents say, okay, go get the water. We need water. And you have to walk four miles. And they have to walk a gauntlet of young men. Can you imagine having to go get... Sorry. Because these stories are all true. You have to walk three or four miles to get water. And on the way there, you have to walk a gauntlet of a gang of guys. And then something happens to you along the way. And then a week later or a couple days later, it's go fetch the water. You, you can understand why he's feeling the way he's feeling. I mean, it's just, this shouldn't be rocket science to us. None of us should be sitting here going, I don't, I don't get this at all. And what kills me as a pastor sometimes in this whole realm is I am debating followers of Jesus Christ on issues that have not been up for debate in the, in the biblical history of mankind. Yet we're debating them. It's just absent. It breaks my heart, and I know it breaks God's heart. Habakkuk is praying. He's praying that God would purify his people. That God would purify his people according to his promises. Now, some interpreters here have argued that Habakkuk is, is not pleading for God's will to be done, but he's pleading for his own personal, his own personal issues, you know, his own personal pain that he's going through. He's not really pleading on God's behalf, on his, but his own behalf. And he, 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 he no longer wants to see all the violence and stuff that goes on around him. If you look in the NIV, the heading here is Habakkuk's complaint. And honestly, no, no offense to anybody who, wrote the, who put this together in the NIV, but I don't think he'd give him a fair shake here. I think Habakkuk's complaints, I think Habakkuk's feelings, I think Habakkuk's pain, his cry, is right he was justified in the way he was feeling. He was completely justified. He's, he's crying out to the God that he loves. What on earth is going on here? This is not fair. I don't understand it. What's he supposed to say? No big deal. That'll all pan out in the end. God's in control, so we don't have to worry about those kids going to get water. God's in control, so we don't have to worry about that starving child. You know, have you ever seen that picture of the little kid? He's like bones, and there's a vulture sitting right behind him on a log just waiting for him to die. You know, don't worry about that, people. God's in control. It doesn't matter. It's all going to pan out in the end. Think about it. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, and there's one major question that we have to ask each other, and we have to ask ourselves. What did Jesus do in the situation he found himself in a world like this? When he, when he was in these situations, what did he do? Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So how did Paul react in these situations? Well, what I find is that both of them, when they were put in those situations, when it comes to the, the impact, the sinful impact on the world, they responded with compassion. They responded with, with, with love. As far as I saw, they wept 
They wept when they saw the impact of sin in the world. Jesus wept and Paul wept when they saw what was going on. In Luke chapter, in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus approached this, the city and Jesus could, as a prophet as well, could foresee the future 40 years down the road and he could see the destruction of the city, it says he wept. In Luke chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus came upon a, a woman who had, was, was crying over the body of her, of, of her son, her only son, and Jesus felt compassion. He had compassion. It wasn't Paul did not instruct his people when other people were going through difficulties to basically say to them, stop whining. It's all going it, it, it can all be figured out. Just, hey, you know what? Hey, just roll with the punches. That's not what he said. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 15, what did he say? Weep with those who weep. You need to weep with those who weep. Paul so clearly showed the wrath of God, which was going to be unleashed on those who rejected Jesus Christ. He, he, he laid that out in Romans chapter 1. He can't talk about the con- condemnation of those who condemn themselves to judgment. He can't talk about that without weeping himself in Romans chapter 9 and verse 2 and in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18. He's broken about it. He's not just writing and not care. He's broken about the people who are walking away from Christ and committing themselves to their own, their own demise. Paul's broken about it. He writes about it in chapter 1. He cries about it in 9 and in Philippians 3.18. What did they do? How, how should we act? See, the problem for us is we, we've become callous to the pain and suffering around us. We become, we become callous. We've, we've witnessed, and some of you students are even more so now, witnessed so many murders on TV and in the movies. We know the numbers of aborted children, of starving children, of children who are now AIDS orphans in Africa, people, kids who are abused. We know all those statistics, and because we do, we become a little hard-hearted. There's so much going on. How can you keep up with it all? You need to kind of harden yourself and, and make sure that you don't feel that kind of pain. But my friends, we need to be, be like Habakkuk, who was weeping over. He was brought to tears over the evil that he saw in the world. If you will, if you will, I want you to close your eyes just for a second. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think of, if, you, if you've had children, okay, I want you to think of your child at four, five, six years old. And now you and your, your, your spouse have died. And there's no relatives around. Think of a really awful city, a dangerous, awful city. Now your five or six-year-old is left alone to walk the streets of that city. They've got to figure out where to sleep. The sun's going down. Never been alone before. They find maybe a little box to crawl in. Oh, they don't want to cry because crying will bring people who may harm them. So they huddle in that box wondering, what on earth am I going to do tomorrow? Who's going to take care of me? See, we need, to, we, need to, we need to feel what Habakkuk was feeling. You can open your eyes, and then we need to cry out to God. God, your, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we should be crying out. We should be praying. We should be praying for Jesus to come and end all this misery and suffering and pain and evil, just like Habakkuk was praying. We need to be praying these things. Uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I sometimes, many times, I want to be where the rain ends. It's, this is a long, hard battle in life, isn't it? 
Anybody's lived long enough. You know, life is good. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh, it's so terrible. My life is so terrible. But you know what? You live long enough. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You and I could sit down and within five minutes, if we said the right things, asked the right questions, we'd both be crying. Right? I mean, anybody's lived long enough. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And we want to cry out to God. I want to be where the rain ends. We want Jesus to come. We say, oh, I wish the Lord would come back and put an end to all this evil and all this suffering and all this death. But until that day comes, my friends, I will continue to pray. I will continue to pray and fight for the lost and the hurting. I will continue to pray and fight for the orphan and the widow. I will continue to fight injustice and live and live my life and stand for truth. And, and, and I'm not talking about truth and, and, and injustice as the world defines it. I'm talking about injustice as the Bible defines it. We are, some of us are fighting the wrong battles, standing up for the wrong things. We're on the wrong side of issues. I'm talking about fighting the injustice that the Bible calls injustice, not what our culture calls injustice and then tries to force us to be a part of. We will need to stand up for truth. I will continue to obey God's word and follow my Lord in the face of cultural of the cultural pressure pressure to do otherwise. We need to make listen, if God says something is wrong, there's a good reason he says it's wrong. God is always right. He's always right. So if he says this is wrong and this is right, you can be sure this is wrong and this is right. And we need to stand up for him and stand for him. I, my friends, you should not and I will not bow my knee to anyone but Jesus Christ. I will not bow my knee to any other thing or person. And until he returns, I will stand my ground. And so should you. So should you. Do not be pulled in by the by the pressures of this world to go along with what they determine is right, wrong, good, bad, moral, immoral. We have the word of God. The word of God should be our influence. The word of God should not be paralyzed in its in the church. We should stand on the truth. We are followers of Jesus, not followers of anything else. And this is the word of God. And whatever Jesus says is all that matters. It's all that matters to me. It's all that should matter to you. We should care about the things that God cares about. We should cry like Habakkuk over the things that break God's heart and break our hearts. Let me close with this poem. It's in the eyes. That's where I see it. Lost, forgotten, abused. The heart nearly gone and with it hope. My troubled thoughts often unanswered, but my faith, simple, sometimes scarred, keeps my soul company. I know the end of this twisted, distorted creation, that which longs for relief as I do. I know my comfort, and he knows the cries of my heart. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would truly bless us. Give us sensitive, sensitive hearts. Sensitive hearts to your word and to the things that we need to focus our attention on. Those who are hurting. Those who cannot defend themselves. Let us stand against this culture, Lord God, and stand for your truth. May you use each one of us. And may we cry out from the bottom of our hearts, 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great, great week.